Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. Well, if you remain standing for me, don't sit just yet. We are going to read the first part of our passage together this morning, together as a church family. So please read this out loud with me. This comes from John chapter 8, starting in verse 31. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We are descendants of Abraham, they answered him, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Jesus responded, truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. I know you are descendants of Abraham, but you are trying to kill me because my word has no place among you. I speak what I have seen in the presence of the father. So then you do what you have heard from your father. You can be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is John Spleen. I'm the family pastor here at Fairview. So if you're new with us, we're so glad that you are here. Uh, Now, I want to ask a question because I'm not sure if you've ever experienced this like me. Uh, Have you ever been held captive against your own will? And some of you are like, what has happened to you? Well, three months ago, a couple months ago, I was in my office. I had my phone on my desk and a ding came across my phone. So I open up my phone, I look at my phone, and I have been held captive by a group text. Have you ever been in one of those? It's like a bunch of numbers you don't even know, and now you're in this list. And so now I'm trying to figure out how do I get out of this captivity? I love iPhones, but they make it very difficult. And so I'm trying to figure out, okay, how do I get out of this? And as I'm trying to leave, something comes across the bottom of the screen. So-and-so has left the group text. Well, now I don't know what to feel. Am I going to be rude if I leave this group text? I feel all this pressure, this peer pressure to stay in this captivity. I don't know what to do. I don't know if you've ever experienced captivity like that before. It's awful. Now, when I ask the questions, have you ever felt like you were and captivated by something or enslaved by something before. I'm sure many of you couldn't think of a couple, you couldn't think of really a whole lot of examples. Well, today in our text, the Jews kind of had that same response. Jesus says, the truth will set you free. And they're like, I'm not enslaved. Now, what's going to be interesting is they say, I'm not, we've never been enslaved before, which, you know, we can probably list like the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the big one, Egypt, right? That they didn't mention, but they have this similar type of response. They're saying, we're not enslaved. We don't have a problem with that. And Jesus is going to show them the exact problem they actually have today when it comes to sin, the master that they serve and the captivity they're actually in. So in our text, 
we see Jesus begins, there's these Jews who started to believe in him. And Jesus takes this moment to say this. If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You know the truth and the truth will set you free. Verse 31 is the core kind of driving verse from now until verse 59. In fact, what we're going to see at the very end of this time is that Jesus is going to make a full circle back to verse 31. And so he says these things in verse 31. Let's look at that quickly. The first word in this verse is if. If your study of English, if implies a what? A then. If this happens, then this will happen. And so Jesus is starting one of those things. He's saying, if you continue in my word, then these things are going to happen. We see him say, if you continue, right? Continue. Well, what does it mean to continue? Well, he tells us in our text a few times what that means to continue. The first time he tells us in verse 37, it's by making place for God's word in our life. What we're going to see is the damaging effects of sin in our life and how that doesn't allow for God's word to penetrate. He says in verse 47 that the one who listens to God's word. So to continue in God's word is to listen, is to hear God's voice. What we'll see as we walk through the text is that you cannot hear two different voices at the same time. You either hear God's voice or you'll hear the devil's voice and influence in your life. And lastly, he tells us in verse 51, anyone who keeps my word will never see death. And so to continue means to make place for God's word, to hear God's word, God's voice, and to keep it, to do it. And then he says, in my word, if you continue to Make room, hear, do my word. Well, what does word mean? Well, at this point, this could mean the Old Testament scriptures and the sacred scriptures that Jesus uh, was using at the time that we see him uh, teaching from and using those Old Testament beloved scriptures. But we have to remember that the New Testament was not written yet. So when he says my word, he's talking not about a set of verses or a set of of principles for you just to memorize or Bible verses for you to memorize. He is actually telling you a way of living. Like any good philosopher, like any good teacher, any good rabbi, any good king, there is a way of living that you are supposed to do if you are going to be his disciple. And so when he says my word, we can think about examples like Matthew chapter five, when Jesus says, you have heard it said, don't be, don't don't murder. But I say to you, don't be angry where he is taking the old Testament scriptures and then fulfilling some of their meanings. We see sometimes Jesus confronting the Jewish leaders and their interpretation of the text. And saying, you've gotten this wrong after centuries and centuries. You've really messed up and manipulated what we meant, what God meant by this in the Old Testament. We see sometimes Jesus confronting individuals. There's one man in the Gospels who uh, uses some systems in place to dedicate money and property to God's people. And then his parents die. And then he undedicates that money to take it back. And the only reason why he gave it to the church to begin with 
was so that he didn't have to take care of his parents in their old age. And Jesus calls him out on this and says, it's sinful to do those things, to manipulate what God's people has done for your own gain. And so you see this way of life that Jesus unfolds on the way that we're supposed to live. And so the whole point, Jesus is saying, if you continue in my word, in my way of living, it's something that is not meant to be just memorized. It's meant to be practiced. And so then he tells us, if you are to do these things, here is what you can expect. Number one, people will know that you are his disciples. That you're truly his disciples. Number two, you will know the truth. And then lastly, the truth will set you free. And what I find very interesting in this passage is that the Jewish people did not have a problem with number one and number two. They actually had a problem with the third point. With the first point, they would say, yeah, that makes sense. If you follow a teacher, a rabbi, a philosopher, it makes sense that you would be deemed a uh, disciple of so-and-so. It also makes sense for the second point, because you wouldn't want to follow a teacher and a philosopher if you thought they were lying to you. But it's the third point that they have an issue with. It's the third point that they push back on Jesus when he says that truth will set you free. And we see from their example here that they don't believe they're in captivity. They say things like, we've never, no one has in our whole nation's history has ever been enslaved before. It's an interesting phrase. Why would they say something like this? Well, first, either they are reinventing their past in order to make themselves seem better. Have you ever met somebody like in an argument will like bring something up from the past, but then they get all the details wrong just to kind of prove a point, right? That's kind of like what they could be doing. Or they could just be really downplaying the whole entire matter. They can just be saying, I got no problem. What do I need to be free from? Now, my guess is if Jesus was here today and he said, the truth will make you free. For some of you in this room, you would say the exact same thing. I'm not really held captive by anything. There's not much in my life that I maybe struggle with. However, there's some of you in this room who may know exactly what that means. Maybe it's a lie that you had to keep on lying to go deeper and deeper into the lie in order to trick everybody else and you just keep on lying and lying and lying. That's captivity to sin. Maybe it's an addiction of substances or pornography or whatever it might be that you're just involved in that, that is holding you captive. Maybe when Jesus says things like everyone who sins is enslaved to it, maybe you feel and know exactly what that means. Maybe for some of you, you might think to yourself, well, I don't really have that big of a problem with that. And I think that's the type of people Jesus is actually talking to this morning. People who have really underestimated the power of sin in our lives and its effects on us. See, the great tragedy of scripture is that sin convinces us that we're free. See, what sin does, it makes you think that if I have the ability to do what I want, when I want it, how I want it, whenever I want it, if I can control my own life, then that is actually true freedom. And that will actually make me not only happy, but then I'll actually be free. 
The problem with scripture and the problem with sin is that scripture tells us that's actually not freeing. At Fairview, our mission statement here is reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. We believe that in fully surrendering ourselves to Christ, his wants, his desires, his kingdom, that's how we actually experience freedom. And that's what Jesus is going to be talking about. I was trying to think of an example that would help me kind of describe this dynamic that's at play. And uh, we had a, a family that has been visiting over to our house on Friday, and he brought like a bunch of really cool Star Wars lightsabers, like legit ones, okay? Not like the ones where you like throw and they like pop out. Like these are like legit LED, amazing lightsabers. And so I was thinking through this and I was actually thinking that Star Wars is actually a really good illustration. So if you're a nerd in here, you'll be happy. If you're not, sorry. So here's the deal. Anakin Skywalker is Darth Vader. If that's a spoiler to you, I'm sorry. It's been 40 years. You should have known this by now. So Anakin Skywalker, we find him and we meet him first in a desert. He's actually enslaved. And through a series of different things, he is taken out of that captivity. And he starts to learn underneath Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi, the ways of the light side of the force. And as you see Anakin's story unfold, you see that he actually has a problem with the light side of the force because he feels that the light side, the Jedi code is too restrictive. It's too debilitating to him. He's not able to do what he wants, when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it. And so over the course of this series, he becomes more and more enticed by the dark side. Now let me share this Sith code with you. I have it right here. The Sith code. Through passion, I gain strength. Through strength, I gain power. Through power, I gain victory. My chains are broken. And everyone read that last line. The force shall free me. When you look at scripture, or when you look at Star Wars, it has a similar picture like scripture. The very tragedy of Anakin Skywalker is the very thing that he thinks is going to free him is actually the thing that actually enslaves him. It's the very thing that actually keeps him captured to the dark side. And his whole pursuit of freedom, his whole pursuit of his chains being broken, ends up actually being his own enslavement that he cannot get out of. The dark side is too strong. And so when we look at our text, I think there's a similarity. We think we're going to be free when we can do what we want when we want it, how we want it. And yet it's that thinking and that practice that actually leads us to become more of a slave to sin. This is why he says in verse 37 that his word has no place in them. It's because as we sin, the deeper we are in our captivity to sin, the more we reject the Holy Spirit's influence on our life. The more we're held in captivity, the farther we are willing, at least, to push away the conviction of the Spirit. There's no place for God's word to dwell when everything everything that's in you is captivity to sin. And so he says, if you want to continue in my word, you have to make place for those things. 
You have to uproot sin in your life if you want God's word to dwell in you. And so when we look at the power that sin has, we also are reminded of why Jesus came to die on the cross. For many of us, we think about God and uh, sending his son to die on the cross so that he could be our substitute. And that's very true. He is our substitute so that we can be reunited with God. But another core foundational reason why Jesus came is to break the power and influence of sin. It is literally to be victorious over Satan. The term there is Christus Victor, Christ the Victor. That because of what Jesus has done on the cross, those effects of sin don't have to be permanent. When Jesus saves us, we find ourselves, though, still in a struggle with sin. We know one day Jesus will fully vanquish that sin permanently. But until then, we still struggle. We still have these back and forth moments, which is why he goes to our second problem in our text, is that we struggle to follow and hear the voice of God. Before we read it, let me give you another Star Wars. We're going to keep you with the Star Wars thing, okay? Let's move to Luke Skywalker for a moment. So Anakin becomes Darth Vader. His kids get shipped out across the galaxy. Luke ends up with his aunt and uncle. And we find Luke meeting Obi-Wan Kenobi and starting to learn the ways of the light side of the force. He is adopting this Jedi code. He is living this way of life. He's adopting this, and he is on board for this. And then, if you can imagine, an empire strikes back. Remember the scene? Darth Vader, a bridge, Luke. And he's like, no! You know, that whole scene where he's like ugly crying, you know? And he realizes that Darth Vader is his dad, right? Because his dad says, you know, I'm your father, whatever. So... In that moment, and if you watch like the lore, if you learn the stories, if you watch the, even the movies, from that point on, Luke starts to have an internal struggle. Who is Luke going to listen to? His biological father and the dark side of the force? Or is he going to listen to Obi-Wan Kenobi, his spiritual father, and the light side of the force? It's this constant struggle that he goes back and forth with. And what you see is that you cannot listen to two different masters. If one says do this and one says do that, you cannot do both of those at the same time. What you do is reflected of the way of life and your, the master that you're, you're living under. What you do is reflected of the person that you have submitted to their authority. Case in point, at the very end of the movies, in the return of the Jedi, the turning point for which pathway Luke is going to go, dark side or light side, is determined by two words by Emperor Palpatine. Do you know what they are? Do it. Nice. Do it. Do it. I think is how he says it. The determining factor on which person, which way of life Luke's going to live is just by how he lives it. It's just by what he does. Jesus is going to show us in this section that we're just going to read that what you do 
shows him who your father or your master is. Let's read that together in verse 39. They respond to Jesus. Our father is Abraham. If if you were Abraham's children, Jesus told them, you would do what Abraham did, but now you are trying to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I hear from God. Abraham did not do this. You are doing what your father does. We weren't born of sexual immorality, they said. So they're, at this point, they're looking at Jesus and they're saying, we're not buying the Mary story, okay? That's what they're insulting Jesus with. They're saying, we, we don't buy that, right? We have one father and that is God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me because I came from God and I am here. For I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. No, that's pretty bold. He just said that their dad was the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar, the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Who among you can convict me of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? The one who is from God listens to God's words. This is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. What Jesus is telling them is this exact same struggle that we all have. You cannot listen to two masters. If Christ is your king, you listen to his voice. But we all know too well the effect of sin and the other voice that can creep in. That other temptation that can creep in and allow us to move away from God. And he tells that the evidence of knowing who your father is, who your master is, is simply by hearing. It's simply by listening. Listening. Who do you listen to? Who is your voice of truth? Because whoever you listen to for your voice of truth will determine what you do. This is why Jesus says, if you continue in my words, you will be my disciples and you will know the truth. Because if you know the truth, then you can act accordingly. And then he tells us this. He gives us a solution. He just doesn't leave us to our own problems. He actually provides us a solution. In verse 48, he says this. The Jews responded to him. Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Let's just stop there. I get their reaction. They were just told that that they follow the devil. Okay, You might feel a little insulted as well. But then they insult Jesus and they say, hey, we know you're an illegitimate child. Maybe your dad's a Samaritan. And even worse, maybe you have a demon. Okay, they are really piling on the accusations. And Jesus says, I do not have a demon, Jesus answered. On the contrary, I honor my father and you dishonor me. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and judges. Truly, I tell you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Then the Jews said, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died and so did the prophets. You say, if anyone keeps my word, you will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you claim to be? If I glorify myself, Jesus answered, my glory is nothing. 
My father, about whom you say he is our God, he is the one who glorifies me. You do not know him, but I know him. If I were to say I don't know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him. I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and it was glad. Then they responded, you aren't 50 years old yet. And yet you say you've seen Abraham? And verse 58 is the reason why they pick up stones. This is the turning point. They're already upset with Jesus. He's called, Jesus has called them the devil, okay? Or he says they worship, the, or they, they follow the devil. They're upset with Jesus, but then Jesus says this one line that turns the table. Jesus said, truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. Now in that statement, he says a couple things. The first thing he says before Abraham was, he is claiming to be eternal. Like God. This is a definitive moment for Jesus when he is claiming the same type of deity as God the Father. But then it's the title that he uses right after this that is important for our purposes this morning. He says, I am. Now I want to show you how Jesus brings this full circle. He starts off by saying the truth will set you free. They claim we've never been slaves. And yet Jesus answers all of this at the very end by saying, I am. Exodus chapter three, the burning bush, the voice that calls out to Moses says, I am. And that launches the greatest deliverance story for the Israelite people. Jesus is calling them to remember that while Moses was the vessel that led them out of Egypt, God is the one who delivered them out of it. And as great as their captivity was in Egypt, there is a greater captivity in sin and he is going to be the I am that delivers them from that. He brings it full circle. And so it's the solution that Jesus brings in this passage by just saying, I am, is that we are to trust in the deliverance of the great I am. That when it comes to the problem of sin, and when it comes to the problem of not being able to listen to, to masters and that we don't listen to God's voice well, the whole problem that we have in captivity to sin, well, the solution is Jesus. The solution is Christ, the great deliverer. And I've came up with this graphic. I want to show you this circle graphic for a moment. And how Jesus does this in this passage. He starts out with saying, if you continue in my word, the truth will set you free. But we have a problem. We're a slave to sin. We have another problem. We don't listen to God's voice really well. The solution is to be delivered in God. And when we are delivered in Christ, guess what we get to do? Back to the beginning. Continue in God's word. We can make room for God's word, hear his word, and keep his word. It's this beautiful picture of the Christian life and how it's lived in the midst of sin, in the midst of the effects of it. Well, how does Jesus deliver us then from this captivity and free us? 
Well, we've already seen him allude to a few things in this text. He's alluded to Genesis chapter three and the fall calling, you know, telling him that they follow the murderer, the first murderer and the father of lies. We see later him bring in this I am, this Passover story. And this should not escape us on how Jesus actually delivers us. Not only does Jesus reverse the effects of sin that we see in the garden, but then he provides for us a way for God's wrath to pass over us because of our sin. In a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. So if you don't have it, go ahead and raise your hand. We'll have some deacons bring some by. All right, so you don't have to move. We'll have some people bring it. But the whole point about the Lord's Supper, the whole point of communion is remembering this Passover. And that's what we see here, the I am. Jesus is the great deliverer. So what happens in the Passover? Moses goes to Egypt. They're in captivity. There's all these plagues that Moses calls to God for and God delivers. But it's the last one that's the most important. The last plague, God asks his people to kill a lamb, an innocent, unblemished lamb. They are to take that blood, put it over their doorpost, and they are to eat. That's the command given to them. And Jesus, in the Passover story, becomes a sacrificial lamb. That instead of a lamb at being, its blood being shed and put on a door, Jesus' blood is spread on a cross. He is this Passover lamb, the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. This is how Jesus delivers us from this captivity of sin, by being the Passover lamb. So what do we do when we feel enslaved to sin, when we feel the burden of guilt because of sin, when we recognize that we have not listened to our true father, God, but we have listened to that voice of temptation from the garden? Well, as we open up ourselves to our new Passover lamb. We trust in the deliverance of the great I am. We trust in his sacrifice on the cross. And when we come to the Lord's Supper, it gives us a time to repent of sin's captivity in our life. It gives us a time to recommit ourselves and to remember that God's faithfulness has never faltered, but we faltered. It's a time when we can recommit ourselves to God and say, I know I messed up last week really bad, but God, I'm repenting of that and I'm committing myself to you. That I'm not just going to confess sin, but I'm going to turn and walk towards you and do your way of life. It also gives us a time to recognize whose voice we've been living under. Whose voice is influencing you? Whose voice are, are you allowing to speak truth in your life? Fear, anxiety, all these other things. 
oftentimes are just a byproduct of listening to the wrong voice. When we sin and we're held captive by that, by a sin that we just can't get out of, or a sin that we feel convicted about, but we just have a hard time getting rid of it. Jesus calls us in this time to recognize that and to make him the voice of of truth in our lives. And this is a time where we can just say, God, I want to follow you. I want to get rid of that. And so when we take the Lord's Supper, it's not just about remembering Christ's sacrifice, which it is. But it's something that we get to do and participate as we do this with God and say, as I do this, I want your truth in my life and I want the truth to set me free. So if you have the elements... Go ahead and grab the the cracker. We look at 1 Corinthians. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Don't take this lightly. We are remembering Christ's sacrifice. Respond to him not only by taking it, but by hearing his word and what he wants to tell you and then make decisions to follow through. Let's do it together. In the same way, he also took the cup. And after supper, he said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This is his blood shed for us. Let's take it together. For as often as you eat this cup and drink, excuse me, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This freedom that we have in Christ only stems from our faith in him, our trust in him as our deliverer. And he has the power to do that. If you need prayer, if you want to chat, there'll be a few of us over in that prayer room over there. You're more than welcome to come by. Now let's respond in song, respond in repentance, respond to God as remember him as our great deliverer. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.